Satan fall like lightning I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven I believe, I believe in signs and wonders Yeah, I believe in resurrection power testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony Together, sons and daughters, bought with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what He started. Can you sing that again? Yes, our God will finish what He started. Yeah, this is my testimony from death to life. Rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony oh I'm alive this is my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony.
He's leading us, and He's calling us home. I confess that I've been a criminal. Still in Your breath, sing my own song, Lord. I confess. Shackles I wear, I bought on my own. See, had a cost. Scarlet seams had a crimson cost. You nailed my debt to that old rugged cross. And
moment, can we pour out our whole praise from the one, the King of kings, the one who made a way, the one who's calling us. You are worthy of all praise. In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your
his church. The evidence of his love and his grace. Now he's changed the world. And before we break into a time of greeting, could we together united as one read this verse from the book of 1 Timothy. And as you read it, allow your heart to reflect on the love and the mercy that was poured out for you by your king, Jesus. So together we read, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord, all the glory is yours. All the glory is yours. We praise your name in this place. Welcome to second service here at MRCC. You know, you are here what some consider to be their least favorite day of the year, the first day of Daylight Savings. And you know what? Just remember that when we are, when we are weak, He is strong. Amen. Why would you turn to those around you and find out who had the most sleep amongst them? or to join a group uh, here. And we have a bunch of groups going on as well as we have so many teams, so many places to serve. Uh, just a ton of volunteers are needed to make uh, all the weekly activities and what goes on here on Sunday mornings. There's the, ch the children's team. There's the worship team. So much uh, is, is awesome stuff there. So you can get involved in that way. Uh, the sign-ups for groups and to join a team are out in the foyer, as well as we have a new uh, group starting up that is a um, like a weekly connection club. They have a table out in the foyer as well. If you want to get more information on that, you can out there after service. Just ask them about that. And then our membership classes are also continuing tonight uh, at 6.30 p.m., so that's another way to get kind of connected as well. Our women's conference that I talked about last week, we have 55 ladies attending that, which is awesome. It's insane. It's crazy. It's great. And last week I said, I'm sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of, uh, I told a fib last week. Uh, we thought that last week was the last day you could get signed up for the women's conference, but that has, that's actually not the case. If you are still interested in going, you can. The process is a little different, so uh, call the church office if you're interested, and, and we can walk you through that sign-up process. Uh, Prime Timers Lunch is back, so that's going to be kicking back off again next Sunday at 12:30 after services down the hall in Room 105. I won't be there. Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> I won't be there, but Pastor Greg qualifies, so uh, who knows? We'll see. Uh, but yeah, 12:30 next Sunday after service down the hall. Prime Timers Lunch. What is that out there on the horizon? That's that's Easter. That's Easter, isn't it? It's getting closer. <laughs> I committed so hard. I committed so hard to this dumb joke in first service. And I'm like, I'm going to commit to it even harder in second service. But Easter is approaching. Um, and with that, you know, we're a family here at MRCC. And so in that spirit, if, if you normally attend second service, 
this is second service, by the way, and so I'm talking to mostly to all y'all. Um, but as a family, if you attend second service, Easter is going to be packed. It's going to be a, a full house, which is amazing. It's awesome. It's going to be a fantastic Sunday. But in the spirit of being family, if you can uh, keep it in the back of your mind, uh, potentially to attend the first or the third service, if you're normally a second service attender, as that's going to be the one that is the most full. So just something to keep in the back of your mind. So uh, without further ado, go ahead and open your Bibles this morning as we prepare to receive the word. Thank you, Pastor Brent. You just never know what's going to happen to him if you take away an hour of his sleep. He's just all over the place. Uh, but thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's good to be with you, friends, this morning. Welcome to Second Service. Welcome to everybody joining us online. We're thrilled that you're with us. You're with us. Great to be here. And um, God says we're a people of prayer, and our world really needs it. Um, would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father God, we come to you this morning, first of all, giving thanks, because like we just sang, you have washed away our sins, Lord. You have reconciled us to yourself. You have adopted us, and, and you teach us to call you Father and to think of ourselves as your sons and your daughters. We're so grateful for that. And Lord Jesus, you've taught us so much about life, about loving one another, Holy Spirit, you've helped us in so many moments we don't even know about. We, we give you thanks this morning. And, and we come to you, Lord, crying out for our world, Lord, praying that you would restore peace to our world. God, that you would cast down wicked men, Lord, that you would help us to understand that we are in a spiritual battle, God, that you would teach us to pray, to worship, to serve, to fight that war with the weapons of your spirit. We pray for that. We ask that you bring peace to our world, God. We ask that you restore that peace in so many places, Lord. And God, we think of, of those refugees, Lord, uh, and not only there, but in other parts of the world, we cry out for your church that is meeting their needs, God, and we thank you that we get to be a little part of that. We pray, God, for our world, and we, we ask for ourselves this morning that you would help us to realize that we are here, our battle is here in this place. Teach us to open our eyes to what you're doing in your spirit among us. And we pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, huge thanks, uh, church, to a lot of people who stepped forward last week and said, uh, hey, I'm available to go serve as the need arises. And, and just to give you an update on that, uh, we still don't have any more details about when that might be, um, you know, where this refugee crisis is happening is one of the better resourced places in the world. And it's also the governments there are really kind of controlling what is happening in terms of taking care of the refugees, which is good on the one hand because there's a lot of resources, but uh, it means that that window hasn't yet opened for us to physically be there. We were part of uh, that last week with our gift, and we will be part of that going forward. But we're just on hold. I don't have any more details to offer you yet, other than the fact that our brothers and sisters in many churches are stepping up and serving in a million ways. We're already part of that, and we'll remain part of that going forward. So just FYI, uh, in, in case you were wondering, open your Bible, if you would, this morning to uh, Romans chapter 7. I'm in a great mood. Ron and I got to go to the Sounders game yesterday. They won, and there was five goals in a soccer game. I mean, wow, that was awesome. Felt like we were celebrating goals the entire time, but uh, good stuff, uh, fun stuff. And, and let's remember, uh, church, that, that our Father deeply delights in our gathering. Uh, e each time we come together, that, that warms his heart. That's what he seeks, just like you seek that for your family. So look around, realize that you're surrounded by brothers and sisters and... Uh, and rejoice in that. Romans chapter 7 is where we are this morning, continuing our spring journey through Romans, beginning uh, with verse 1. And he, he, here's a fun question to throw out this morning as we get started. Um, you know, how do you feel about the speed limit in Buckley? Just share your heart a little bit about that. Right? <laughs> or, or maybe if you're coming from the other way, the speed limit in Black Diamond, how do you feel about that? Do you get all warm and fuzzy and happy when you think about that? I'm guessing probably not. Uh, you know, 
maybe I could just ask about speed limits in general. How much are you in favor of those? Uh, judging by the way we drive, not much. <laughs> I came across uh, a collection of speed signs this morning. I thought I'd share a few with you, throw them up here on the screen like this one. Speed limit 65, Fords just do the best you can, you know, <laughs> you're from a Chevy. Speed limit 55, your speed 167, that's probably not good. Uh, Speed limit enforced by aircraft. I like that one, you know, yeah. Uh, speed limit 34. <laughs> I don't know why. A lot of people would probably like this one here, you know, speed limit, just go for it, whatever works. For you math freaks, you know, you can work that one out and see, what, see what's up there. Speed limit, no. I think that's in Montana, in case you were wondering, that one right there. And then this one, speed limit, men 140, women 35. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't know which way they were going with that, you know, kind of picking on the guys or the gals, but um, yeah, most of us, you know, aren't, aren't big fans of speed limits, at least by our behavior. Uh, I, I thought it was funny, someone has said that a real patriot is somebody who gets a speeding ticket and rejoices that the system works, <laughs> which is interesting to think about. But the reality is that, and we all know this in, in, in our heads, if not maybe sometimes in our hearts, the reality is that speed limits are made to keep people safe. I mean, that's why we have them. Of course, the problem comes when our idea, my idea of what's safe is different from your idea or from someone else's idea. But the ultimate solution, I mean, the speed limits aren't an end in themselves. They're a means to an end because, you know, the ultimate goal is to drive safely. That's, that's what we want for our kids. Uh, it's funny how you suddenly appreciate speed limits when your teenager first becomes a driver. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're like wishing everybody would obey the traffic laws to the best of their ability. But the, the rules are there because we don't. I mean, just stop and think about that for a moment. The rules are there because we don't drive safely or wisely when left to our own ends. Is it possible, is it possible that rules like speed limits reveal something about us to us? Think about that for a moment. Is it possible that those rules reveal something about us to us? We might assume, well, I would always drive safe, but then we kind of need help to remember to do that. Is it possible that the, reveal, the rules reveal something about us to us? One of my favorite stories is about King Frederick II of Prussia. Now, you may remember him as Frederick the Great. That's how he's commonly known. But history tells us that he was visiting a prison in Berlin on one holiday. And, and while he was visiting as the king, the, the prisoners in this prison were all trying to, to prove that they were innocent to him, that there had been a mistake, that there were mitigating circumstances, that they shouldn't be here, that he should let them out. And, and they just clamored around him knowing that he had the power to release them. All except for one guy who sat quietly and alone in the corner. And seeing him... King Frederick was drawn to him and he asked the guards to open the cell and he went in and he went over to this guy and he said to him, sir, why are you in jail? And the man said, armed robbery, your honor. The king said, are you guilty? The man hung his head and said, yes, sir. And after a moment, the king gave an order to his guards. He said, release this guilty man. I don't want him corrupting all these innocent people. <laughs> now, you know, we laugh about that, but at the same time, there's a part of us that goes, oh, yeah, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> and there's a part of us that recognizes a kind of wisdom in that moment. Because we recognize that it's a rare person who says, I'm guilty. <laughs> Most claim they aren't, even if they know they are. H how do you feel about a story like that? And why do you think the king did what he did? This morning, God wants to talk to us about those kind of things. Last week in Romans chapter 6, we explored the way we think about sin. And we learned that the Bible says it's, it's not just the breaking of rules. It's the the poisoning of the self and that the reason God gives commandments is that he's for us and he knows we need help seeking what's good and right. 
And this morning, he wants to talk to us about, about how we deal with that struggle with sin. So here in chapter 7, verse 1, that's what's on the apostle's heart. Let's, let's listen to what God says to us in his word this morning. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 7, Paul says, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men, to people who know the law, do you not know that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. We all understand that. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. You passed out from under its authority when you identified with Jesus through baptism, through believing, through the believing that issues in baptism. Paul says, you died to the law through the body of Christ. And so you are no longer wed to it. You're no longer under its authority. And you died to the law so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Now, let's take this in a little moment because it's the context for what's coming. He says, you died to the law through the body of Christ. In other words, it lost its authority over you. There is a sense in which a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a sense in which a follower of Jesus Christ is not under the Ten Commandments. But we are not under law so that we might belong to another. So we are under the author of the Ten Commandments. And so their force, their direction, their, their primacy, their seriousness, the, all that remains because the, the, the Lord who authored them, who authored that law is, is now our Lord. But the difference between a Lord and a law, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is that a law can't show mercy. You break it, you pay the price. But a Lord can. A Lord can issue what we call mercy. A Lord can say, you know what, Greg, you failed, but I'm going to give you another chance. I, I know you can learn. I know you can grow. I'm for you. I'm with you. A, a, a Lord can offer mercy. And, 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 and Paul has that idea in mind here. But important to note, he says, you died to the law so that you might belong to another. One of the great lies of the modern world is that we can belong to ourselves. The truth is we can't. We either belong to sin or we belong to God. There is no middle ground. At the end of the day, we are slaves to one or the other. We are servants to one or the other. And Paul says, what God has done in Christ is deliver you from the law that you might come under a Lord. I remember when I was stationed overseas in Iceland, there was a, a man who, who renounced his American citizenship in order to marry an Icelandic woman and, and spend the rest of his life there in Iceland. He became an Icelandic citizen. And there was a little ceremony that I just happened to be in, in the vicinity standing guard when this happened. And he handed over his American citizenship, his passport, and he received an Icelandic one. And in that moment, what happened was he passed out of his accountability to American law. You know, once, once he took that step, he was no, but he was now accountable to Icelandic law. In a similar way, when you and I believe we move out from under law, the Ten Commandments, but we move under, we belong to the Lord who authored those commandments. And that's a tremendously significant change. You need to understand that that's what's happened to you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, again, if I can draw a, a parallel, it, when I went into the military, I, I passed out from under American law for the most part, and I came under the lordship of my commanding officer. One of the things that I learned when I voluntarily took an oath to serve the country was that now my commanding officer had all kinds of prerogative and authority over me that he wouldn't have had if I was a, a civilian. But when I passed into the service, I came under his lordship. That's what's happened to us in Christ. And the purpose of that, and Paul says, is that we might bear fruit to God. In other words, the point of this transfer, hear me friends, isn't that we become free to do whatever we want, but that we become repurposed to another mission. I got to serve my country. I got to be part of that mission. And there was a certain privilege to that. 
And I received that when I passed from a law to a Lord. God says the same thing has happened to us in Christ. And he wants us to understand that, to grasp that, and that the purpose of it is that we might serve God's mission in the world. This is what happens to believers. We trade a law for a Lord, a covenant for a king. And it's a big deal. And our whole Christian experience is, is framed inside of this paradigm, as we're going to see in the next few verses. You know, again, it's like when, when I married Rhonda, when Rhonda married me. You know, I didn't say at our wedding, hey, tell me what all your rules are so I can obey them for the next few years. I probably should have said that, but I didn't say that in that moment, okay? Instead, I made this open-ended commitment, as she did to me, where we said, you know what, we're going to be with each other with all that that entails, we don't even know all that that might entail someday. But we're making this commitment to one another. We are entering into this relationship with one another. Like, like we say in a traditional marriage, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, in good times and in hard times. We, we enter into this commitment for a lifetime. That's what's happened to us in Christ. Sometimes we think the law is the last word over us. But in Christ, it's Jesus himself who has the last word over us. And we want to grasp that. Here's why he's going he's to move to a crescendo here. Look at verse 5. Paul says, now this being the case, there are side effects that have to do with that transition. He says, for when we were controlled by the sinful nature, when we were still under the law, catch this, the sinful powers aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit to death. When we were under law, what would happen is we would have this reaction to being told what to do. And that reaction would be a negative one. We would resist. You know, it's the feeling that I have every time I go over the bridge and go up the hill. And there's that sign, 35 miles an hour in Buckley. Ugh. I think that's too much. It's not necessary. I know none of you think that, but I think that when I go up that hill. God says, what that rule is really doing is revealing something about me to me, that I have sinful passions that are aroused by being told what to do. You know, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a Christian owns being told what to do sometimes. We have a Lord. <laughs> he is our king. He is our master. What he calls us to, we submit to. When I was under the law, I discovered that there is in me this resistance to submission. In other words, God's commandments make my rebellious nature apparent to me. It reveals to me that I don't want to be told what to do. I, I remember when I was a boy, my parents raised horses, and uh, gosh, I don't know, I was about 10, and they, uh, they put an electric fence around the pasture. <laughs> Mom said, don't touch the electric fence. Dad said, don't touch the electric fence. What was the first thing I wanted to do when they said, don't do it? I got to touch it. I got to touch it. I resisted for a while, but then eventually I had to touch it. Something's wrong with me, <laughs> and something's wrong with you as well. And the law, God's rules, reveal that to us. A Christian is a person who says, you know what? I'm flawed. I have a sinful nature. I am a sinner. We don't resist that. We say, yep, that's the truth about me. Paul says, the beauty, though, is that in that moment, we pass under a Lord. And we begin to learn how to be told what to do. I, uh, in this stage of my life, I've discovered this in another new way. You know, probably the last six, eight years, for the first time in my life, I've had to think about what I eat. I've had to kind of diet a little bit, which was not something I like to do. And what that has revealed is something about myself, that I, I'm rebellious by nature. My wife is doing it too, and she's working with me. So I'll come home from work, and, and she'll say, what did you have for lunch today? And there's this part of me that says, why do you ask? <laughs> You don't need to know what I had for lunch today. I'm 58 years old. I eat whatever I want for lunch. There's this part of me. Now, all she's doing is saying, hey, let's do this together, right? But there's this part of me that resists. And it's aroused by all kinds of things. You know, there's this sign at the gym. See, I've never had a problem working out. My problem is what I eat. So there's this, this sign at the gym. I absolutely hate it. I avoid that end of the gym. Because when I walk around the corner, there's this sign that says, you can't out-exercise a bad diet. Yeah, it's true, but I don't want it to be true, right? I, 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 see, there's this thing about me that's revealed to me. 
George Bernard Shaw, as an aside, said, no diet will remove all the fat from your body because your brain is entirely fat tissue. And without a brain, you might look good, but all you could really do with your life is run for public office, which is true. <laughs> which is pretty much true. But seriously, I've got this, I've got this sinful nature, so do you. Uh, my, my good friend Jason Person tells about his toddler son Lincoln and Lincoln had decided that he wanted to climb up on the dinner table all the time and dad was saying no you can't do that don't do that and, and one night they were having this conflict and he told Lincoln keep your hands and feet off the table and then he sat there at the table and watched as his three year old son very slowly without ever looking at him lifted up one leg got it up as high as he could and got one toe up on the top of the table and then looked at his dad <laughs> Yeah, we, we've got that in us. And it's God's law that makes that apparent to us. But, but, Christ saves us from that part of us. Not just from breaking rules, but from the real root of breaking rules, which is that rebelliousness. And, and there's a process to that transformation. That's what he's going to talk about in the next few verses, beginning with verse 18. There's a process to that transformation. When I was a newlywed, I didn't understand my, my love for my wife like I do now. My, my wedding vows weren't the end of the process. They were the beginning. I felt something strong for sure. But now, almost 40 years later, it's so much greater. It's grown so much. In the same way, God says that the new you has begun, but there is still much growing to do. And explaining what that is like, Paul writes, verse 18 of chapter 7, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I want to do, this I keep on doing. Gosh, that's, that's my experience. Is that your experience? If you're honest, it is sometimes. And, and Paul says this, Here's the conclusion he draws. Here's what he wants us to understand about this moving from a law to a Lord. He says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Uh, friends, you need to understand this about your struggle with sin. Your struggle is there because you have passed from law to a Lord. Your struggle is the evidence that you have. It's the evidence that there's a new you. I, I have to tell you, I didn't grow up church. I didn't grow up a believer. As a young man, I didn't care what God's laws were. I didn't care about right and wrong as God defined it. I didn't care about good and bad as God defined it. I just went around doing what I wanted, what I thought was best for me, and didn't think twice. It was when I became a believer that all of that changed. Now suddenly I'm saying, God, I want to know your ways. I want to do things your way. And Paul says, yeah, even though I struggled with that, the fact that that was what I wanted now, that's the evidence that there's a new me emerging. That's the evidence in your life that there's a new you emerging. You know, to put it another way, if you're struggling against sin, good. That's the proof of who you are becoming I remember when I had my first major knee surgery, I thought I'd never be the same. The whole knee blew apart. They put metal bolts and stuff inside there and repaired it. The doctor said, you know what, Greg, a year and a half from now, it'll be stronger than it ever was. I'm like, I can't believe that. It feels awful. It's taken forever. It's, it's a struggle. But a year and a half later, it was absolutely true. You know, I was back to playing and I was even playing better now because I learned how to do things without just relying on, you know, athleticism. Suddenly I learned a lot of other ways and then the knee got stronger. God says that same process is going on in us. Once you turn to Jesus, he went to work, and it's an ongoing process. If you are struggling against sin, good, be encouraged. That's the evidence that there's a new you. If you're not struggling, that's the evidence that you're not seeking to obey God's ways. Make no mistake, we Christians, we do struggle with sin. The Bible's abundantly clear on this point. Even though we have been ultimately set free from it in Christ, we still struggle to experience that freedom. So John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess we have moved from law to Lord. We have moved under his rulership. 
Again, if I can paint a word picture, when I, when I entered boot camp, I remember when they first brought us onto that recruit depot and we've all got bad haircuts and bad clothes and we can barely mob in the same direction. And we saw these guys 14 weeks later and we saw these guys who had already finished and they were precise and they were together and they were a team and they looked awesome and they, they could do stuff as a team that was unbelievable. And, and we thought to ourselves, oh my goodness, we're never going to be that, but... Because of the struggle, 14 weeks later, we were those guys. We became those guys. God said, that's going on in you because you believe. That's why Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to the day of completion. He wants us to understand that, that the struggle should not make us despair. And here's really our point this morning. The struggle should not make you despair. The struggle reveals who you really are and it reveals who God really is. So Paul goes on in chapter 7 beginning with verse 21 to say this. He says, so I find this law at work when I want to do good evils right there with me for in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work. I've got this, I've got this sinful nature. He says poignantly, what a wretched man I am. Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, what a wretched man I am? Probably not if you're a woman. Maybe you said, what a wretched woman. I get the idea though. Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, man, what is wrong with me? Paul says, I feel like that. He says, I feel like that sometimes. Because of this struggle I'm in, because of this process that I'm in. But God says, good if you feel like that. It means you're in the struggle, and I delight in your struggle, and I'm at work in your struggle. It means that you are growing and beginning to grasp the holiness of God and your own sinfulness, and that's a beautiful, wonderful, precious, and powerful thing to him. G.K. Chesterton said, no man knows how great a sinner he is until he's tried really hard to obey God's law. And when you do, you, you end up going, what a wretched man I am. When you say that, you're not alone. Anyone else who has set out to do things God's way discovers the same thing. We have a sinful nature. You know, when I was, uh, uh, most of my life I had old pickup trucks. And the first one I bought when I was in high school, I paid $250 for it. It was a 1960 Ford pickup of a deep rust color, if you can sort of picture that. Had wonderfully spaced holes in the body. Got about 35 miles to the court. <laughs> and it, it pulled really hard to the left whenever I drove it. And I was thrilled to have a car. I was thrilled to be mobile. But driving it was always a chore because it was pulling hard to the left. And somebody else would get in and go, wow, this thing pulls hard to the left. Paul says, I pull hard to the left. There's this part of me that is wrong. And I struggle with it. And it's hard. And it's difficult. Sometimes you feel like that. Maybe it's your greed or your pride or your lust or your fear or your hate or your hurts, or your tendency to lie, but you've got to pull to the left. And when you're honest, you hate it. And you say, what a wretched man I am. But see, in that, we truly discover who God is. Jesus put it this way. He said in Matthew chapter 9, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That is, a, that is a beautiful thing for him to say if you're a sinner. It means in your struggle, he seeks you. It means that in your struggle, he desires you. And Paul's learned this about him. And so he says, verse 24, who will rescue me from this wretchedness, from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, he has and he does and he is. You know, when you pull hard to the left, that's when God seeks you most. That's when he rushes towards you. That's when he reaches out to you in your daily experience and says, I know you pull to the left. I'm glad that you struggle against that. And I'm at work in your struggle, transforming you into someone new. 
God seeks you in the midst of your struggle. You and me don't need to learn more rules so much as we need to experience who God is, the Savior. And in that is our hope. And, and, and that's how, that's how, and this is, we're almost done this morning, that's how God's law moves from our heads down into our hearts is when we discover him as our Savior. When we trade the law for his lordship, that's when we discover that love for him that pulls us all the way to the end of that struggle. There's a beautiful picture of this in your Bible. In, in, in the, the book of Jeremiah, God sends the prophet Jeremiah to Israel in what is in many ways their worst moment. Uh, Israel has been blessed in a million ways has entered the promised land, has had a long time there, has had good kings, has had great prophets, but still Israel's pulling to the left. Israel's going astray. And finally, the consequences of that sinful nature in Israel come full circle. And in Jeremiah's day, they are being hauled off into captivity in Babylon. They are being yanked out of the promised land and they're going into slavery. And it is a dark day. And in the midst of that, God sends Jeremiah the prophet and his ministry crescendos in chapter 31 of Jeremiah when through the prophet, God says this. Listen to what he says. He says, the time is coming. Picture, Israel's going into slavery. Their land is conquered. They've lost everything. Jerusalem's torched. They're being taken into slavery. And through Jeremiah, God says to them, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jesus. They're seeing the old one coming apart. And God says, I'm going to make a new one with you. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant even though I was a husband to them. I held up my end, they didn't hold up theirs. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. Catch this, friends. The Lord says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. Not on tablets of stone that you hang on the kitchen wall, but in the heart, in the mind. I will write my law on their hearts and their minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, what's God talking about? And he's talking about the coming of Jesus. And when Jesus goes to the cross for your sins, for my sins. And when you receive what he's done for you, he becomes your Lord. He becomes your Savior. And you are transformed. Now you have a desire to respond to him, to serve him, to obey him. That's what it means to be born again. As a matter of fact, in chapter 8, Paul's going to talk about it's when we receive Christ that we begin to cry out to God, Abba, Father. You're my dad. I'm part of your household. I'm under your rule. That transformation happens when we receive what Jesus has done for us on the cross. What Jeremiah prophesied comes true in Christ. This is why whenever we take communion, we remember that Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. He's talking about this. He's talking about the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. He says, from now on, I'm going to change you from the inside out like a father, like you do with your kids, like you seek to do with your kids, to build them from the inside out. God says, in, in Jesus, that's what I do. You pass out from under a law, under a Lord. When you're under a Lord, the struggle is the way forward. And God delights in the fact that you do. It's no longer I who do it. It's sin living me. In other words, you're in a struggle. And that's what God celebrates. And that's what he wants you to understand this morning, friends. He wants you to understand that that struggle is the sign that you belong. There's a beautiful picture of this again in your Old Testament in Genesis chapter 32. A guy named Jacob spent his whole life doing what he wanted, breaking God's rules, was facing the consequences. And finally, he decides to wrestle with God, to struggle with God. The Bible says he spent the whole night wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And in the morning... The angel of the Lord said to him, I'm changing your name. You're no longer Jacob. Now you're Israel, my beloved, my people. Now I'm giving, why? Because you struggle. So let me say to you this morning, if you're in a struggle, own that. Grab hold of that. 
That is the new you emerging into the world. That is happening because God's spirit has entered you because you believed in Jesus. It's important for us to grasp that or we become discouraged. And the last thing God wants you is discouraged because at the end of the day, it depends on what he's done, not what you or I have done. Uh, let me finish with a story. Jesus told a story about two people who went to church. And one guy went to church and said this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers. God, I'm here to celebrate that I live on the right side of the law. But another man went, a tax collector, and he had a very different experience. The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus didn't say the second guy was a wet blanket and a downer and he should have been more positive minded <laughs> it's not what he said at all he said I tell you this man rather than the other went home justified before God because that man was in a struggle with his sinful nature the other didn't even know he had one that makes all the difference to God let me tell you a story and we'll be done About 20 some years ago Ron and I were serving church in Moscow, Idaho, college town, and a lot of college students in that church. And, and back then, you know, if you're old enough, you know that COVID wasn't the first pandemic that ever hit the world. Back then we had something called AIDS. Maybe you've read about it. It's sweeping all across the country. And AIDS was associated with certain risky behaviors, drug use, sexual immorality. Everybody knew that. Everybody understood that. It was front and center. One, one Wednesday night, we were having Bible study at church, and, and at the beginning, we would always say, hey, who has a prayer request? What, do we, what can we pray for you for? And f a couple different people were sharing. Well, there was a guy who had walked in right, at the, right as service started. I saw him sit down and back by himself, and he raised his hand, and I thought, oh, great, somebody to meet. So I said, hey, yes, sir, what, what can we pray for you? And he stood up, and he said this. He said, my name's Colton. He said, um, I have AIDS. My doctor tells me I have about six months to live. He said, I've come home because I have family here in town. I'm moving back in with them to die because this disease will continue to take my life. And he said, and I got this disease because I've walked outside of God's laws. I knew better, but I've lived a life in the homosexual world. And that's where I got AIDS. And would you pray for me? I've come home to die. What a moment. The beautiful thing was, yeah, well, absolutely, we'll pray for you. So we all bowed our heads and prayed. And several people immediately went over to him, laid their hands on him, gave him hugs. Afterwards, after we had Bible study, people crowded around him. Before he left that night, he had half a dozen invitations to people's houses for lunch. Another family was taking him that night to the mall to buy clothes and, and kitchen utensils and stuff that he needed as he moved back into this little mother-in-law apartment with his family. They owned him. He went from there with tears in his eyes and smiling. Now listen, I've never been more proud of a church I was part of than that night. And, and nobody was told what to do. There was no law that said, you'll do one, two, three, you'll do this, that, and the other thing. No, they had been transformed into the Lordship of Jesus. And so when Colton came along, they just jumped in. They knew what to do. God says, that's where I'm leading you. That's where I'm taking you. That's what your struggle is for. So don't despair over that struggle. Own it. I'm with you in it. I'm going to bring you all the way through it. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me this morning? Maybe you have never received Jesus as your Savior, so you don't have that drive to learn God's ways. You don't feel that belonging. You don't know God as your Father. He wants you to. He wants you to. He invites you to simply admit that you have a sinful nature, that you are a sinner, and receive him as your Savior. In that moment, something supernatural happens. You are born again. You'll know it. And you'll walk from here feeling different about God's ways. And that's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for you. You. So you can, you can do that right now, right here in this moment. He's listening to your heart. You say, God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Be my Savior. 
and he will right here, right now. Maybe you did that a long time ago, but somewhere along the line, you forgot that he came for the sick, not the healthy. That he came for the sinner, for the person who's struggling. And he wants to encourage you to own that struggle again. He says, own it. I give you a new name because you own it. That's the evidence that you belong to me. I'll be with you in it. It'll be long. It'll be harder than you think. But I will lead you through it. And I will bring you to victory. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your word, Lord. Send us from here, knowing that our struggle is precious to you and that you're leading us to victory in it. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, friends. Just missed your chance to get a half-hour nap. Just missed it right there. Still got one this afternoon. God is a Savior. That's the gospel. Now, may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.